Good morning. It is good to be with you. I've enjoyed meeting uh, elders and deacons over the last couple of days and spending time with them. Thanks to the session again for the invitation to come and be with uh, the session and diaconate, but also to preach and to be in this, this place with you this morning. I've known of this church for a number of years and um, I'm thankful finally to be able to be here and worship with you in this uh, beautiful place that you have been given by the Lord. I uh, bring you greetings from your sister congregation up in Oak Ridge. If you ever come to the Smokies, uh, feel free to drive over and worship with us on Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Uh, that's what a lot of folks from around the country do. Uh, we get to meet a lot of fine folks as they visit our our mountains and uh, they they uh, they search the internet and or their parents uh, their parents their pastor uh, says uh, yeah here you're going there you should go to this church and that's always gratifying you know when when people come and say well my pastor said that I should worship with you all while we're here and so uh, we're glad to have people come so please do uh, you will be uh, a blessing to us if you do I want to Read God's Word. If you will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. As I was uh, uh, preparing, had prepared to come and spend time with the elders and deacons, then as I was thinking about the sermons for the day, I uh, uh, sent an email to your pastor and just said, uh, you, you know, you've, you got anything that you want me to say that you don't feel like you can... No, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I suggested, I said, you know, since we're do, talking the weekend with elders and deacons, maybe something on the communion of saints, something, you know, I, and he said, sure, yes. So here we are. We're going to look at the communion of saints this morning, and tonight we're just going to, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to see how, how full and wonderful the gospel is right there, in the Old Testament. Um, we do not believe that you have to wait till Matthew to learn of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you see it in its fullness and its beauty in a most wonderful story. So if you have time, and I hope you'll take time this afternoon if you haven't already to read that passage, uh, perhaps even the chapter before and a few chapters after, you would, uh, you'll be blessed as you come into the house of the Lord tonight. Read with me. God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Remember, these are not words of men, though men recorded them. Men uh, placed them here for us, but God is the one who gave them. He spoke through holy men of old, and these words are trustworthy. This is God speaking. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. I hope you believe that. It's our only source of life and faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning in song and prayer, in our confessions, and now in the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word. We pray that you would indeed grant us a marvelous blessing that we would leave this place more like Christ, that we would leave this place loving your church better. We'd love this place loving one another better. And we ask this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't think I have to tell you that we live in an impersonal age. We live in a culture, in a society, in a world in general. It's not just here, it's around the world that's impersonal. We live in a very individualized world as well. But the impersonal nature of it is easy, isn't it? It's easy to detect. It's easy to see. Uh, we have friends. Some of you have thousands of friends. I was told the other day that, that one prominent minister in the PCA had over 20,000 friends. And he meets with them in the privacy of his own laptop. People eat out at home via DoorDash. Right? People, I had to wag my finger at my daughter, whom I love dearly, and who has given me a grandson and soon a granddaughter. She orders her groceries online. And they either deliver them to the door and leave them at the front door and she gets them after they're gone, or she drives and parks and opens the her button and it lifts the hatch on the back of the car and they load them in and they close it and she drives away. She doesn't walk down the aisle and wave to people. She doesn't speak to anyone. She's becoming invisible, impersonal. Games, games. You don't go outside and play games anymore. You don't go to the park and play games. You play games with your thumbs. Right? Now, hey, my sons got us into Wii, and I know that's old technology, but also into Xbox, that's newer, and I still love to play Wii Golf. I am a pro. <laughs> Joe was talking about someone having a handicap. I do not. I'm really good. I am Jack Nicholas Tiger Wood good. 
churches allow perfectly healthy people to sit at home and I'm air quoting for anyone who might possibly hear this later in the life of this world. They sit at home and worship. I have a dear friend who is lamenting his brother right now. He calls him a pajama Christian. Actually, his brother calls himself a pajama Christian. And he worships in his pajamas. Even seminaries are more and more going to online studies. I riled some feathers at Greenville Seminary a few years ago when I said, I just have to tell you, I will not serve as a reference for a student who's graduated online whom I've never met in person because I don't know them. I've not had any, any discussions with them over the lunch table, around the breakfast table. We have no relationship. How could I recommend them? I need to know someone to recommend them. Well, you had their grades. Anybody can make grades. We have ministers. This is true, folks. We have ministers who come to our presbytery, prospective ministers. We examine them. They do wonderfully on exams, most of them. And they're going to be a pastor. And you know what? The first church they've ever been accountable to the first session they've ever been accountable to is the session they're about to be a part of as a pastor. That's a disaster waiting to happen. They've never interacted with an elder in their life. Some of them have never had an elder in their Christian life because they were converted. Praise God, converted in college, went straight to seminary, and now they're pastoring of a church with a session to work with, deacons to work with, and they've never had one before. They don't even know what it looks like or sounds like. We live in this impersonal, detached age, and churches do this. We do it easily. I don't know. I was sitting here with my back to you. I don't know who slipped in late. So if I'm about to step on your toes, it's Jesus, not me, because I, I, was, I was not looking, okay? But we do. We slip in, we slip out. We slide out the side, right? Impersonal, individual. And that's not what the Bible talks about. We were talking, uh, Mr. Fowler and I, how... how so much of the New Testament is written in the plural. We're going to read today, as I've just read. Did you notice all those let us's? Not let you. But let us. In a bit, when we come to the Lord's table, perhaps, I don't know what He has planned, but He may be reading from that, that classic passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul is instructing the church concerning the Lord's Supper. And that first paragraph that we read so often is addressed to when, as, as often as y'all 
take this cup as often as you all eat this bread. He's talking to all of us. Then he turns our attention and says, now each of you examine yourself that you fit in right with all of us and that you fit in right with the good Lord. There is that personal appeal, but we're part of... You know, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a Scottish tartan this morning. This is Clan Cameron. I wear it in honor of Thomas Chalmers, the great Scottish theologian pastor revolutionizer of the church in the 19th century. Scots, the Scots have clans. And that's a really good word for Christians to use. The church is a clan. We're a covenant body. This passage is about the covenant body. We've been, we've been singing about the communion of saints. We had a beautiful pastoral prayer that emphasized the communion of saints. I didn't give him that. That's his. And then we're going to look at this passage. And I'll tell you, I have uh, I've preached this text a few times in my life. The first time I was telling uh, some earlier, I preached in the, in the presence of one of the world's leading New Testament Greek scholars. As far as I know, I don't have anyone like that here closer than your pastor. This is not an easy passage. But that Greek scholar that morning, after I preached, said this, I was convicted that I have never preached that passage and that I have never preached a sermon on the communion of saints and I have never even heard a sermon on the communion of saints. And it's in our, in our confession of faith. There's a whole chapter on it. Now, we talk about the communion of saints, but let's look at it more closely. So here we go. First point. This is your Latin word for the week. Why did I use it? Because I couldn't find another P that fit with the other P's. And I want you to remember, okay, the principia of the communion of saints. The source, the beginning that word, the Latin vulgate, that's the word we find in Genesis. In principia. In the beginning was the, the creation of God. We find it in John 1. In the beginning was the word. The beginning, the source, the foundation. What's the foundation of our communion? I want to tell you folks, it varies. I preached a sermon several years ago early in my life at a church, and I said this, if people drive by our church and on that sign out there, they read that sign and they think of anything, if they get to know us and they think of anything before they think of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we have failed. If they think they're homeschoolers, they're private schoolers, they're public schoolers, they're King James only, they're pre-trib, pre-millennial, they're ah-mill, they're post-mill, name it. If they think anything cause-wise before they think of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we have failed. That's not why we exist. Churches ought not to gather because they're all convinced of the same kind of education for their children. 
Now that's fine. I'm not preaching against good education for your children. And I don't care if you all agree or not. But everyone shouldn't gather here for that reason. We shouldn't gather here because we're all going to vote one way next month or another way next month. And churches actually exist for those reasons, folks. I'm telling you. Because they all homeschool or they all public school or they all private school or they're all pro-life or they're all this or that. And all th those things are important. But that's not why we, that's not what we hold in common. That's not why we're members of a church. We're members of a church because of Jesus Christ. Because we're united to Christ. Do you notice that there? In the very beginning, therefore, brethren. Now, if you'll go back and read what came before so that the author says, therefore, it's all about Jesus. It's about his sacrifice. It's about him being a great high priest. And that's what he summarizes for us right here. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way through which he inaugurated for us through the veil that's his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. He's just summarizing what he's just said. Since we have all this in common, and then he goes into that series of let us. So the foundation is the life and death of Christ. The foundation is the ascension of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, his intercession work for us. Back in Hebrews 7, 23, we learn that he intercedes for us even now. He intercedes for us continually that we might be saved completely. That's why we're here. Because we're, we love Jesus. Because we trust Jesus. Because we're here to serve Jesus. We're here to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the principia. That's the source of our communion. That'll help you through a lot of hard times, folks. You will have disagreements. You'll have disagreements on what the next Sunday school class should be about in the adult session. Somebody's going to say, well, you know, things going on out here. We need a good series of lessons, good series of sermons on this. And if we don't, well, they're, they just don't, they're not, get, they're not getting it. They're tuned out. And all of a sudden people are at odds with one another over something that simple. I could go more simple than that. The piano plays too loud. I, no, I didn't say it. It didn't. She didn't. But something that simple, something that mundane, all of a sudden people are sitting around distracted instead of remembering that they're not here for that. They're here for Christ. That's the source. And if we don't get that right to start with, then we will be disgruntled. We will be unhappy about every little thing. Christ is the foundation. Then that brings us then to that series of let us clauses. Let us, he says, draw near. By the way, let me say one more word about Christ being the foundation. I was just reminded of this this past Tuesday. Your pastor and elders who attend Presbytery and go to General Assembly, 
will probably, someone will say amen to this. I was reminded of this this past Tuesday in our presbytery. We had our, our fall presbytery meeting. And you know, as I sat there, I was reminded of this passage because I didn't agree with many things that were said and some of the things that were done in our presbytery. I thought, you know, I don't have much in common with some of these brothers. And then God just smacked me. And he said, you're going to spend eternity with all these brothers because of Christ Jesus. That's why you're here is for Christ. You're not here for them. You're not here to agree with them necessarily. But you're here for Christ. And that's why we come together. Now let's go to the let us's. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to what? But notice first, let us draw near. So it's not let me draw near. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 42 we don't know when that psalm originated. Uh, some think it's, uh, most all scholars agree that it's David. Some think it may be in that early period when he was in and out with Saul and Saul would pursue him and then leave him alone and then he'd be after him again. Others, and I tend to this position, that it was during the Absalom rebellion that you can read about this afternoon and in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and following, when he's running from his son for his own life. And in Psalm 42, he says, My heart pants like the deer pants for water, so my soul pants to be with you. And he says, How I long to go up to the worship like I used to with all the saints, leading them in worship. You see the corporate, the corporate nature of that? How I long to be with them. How I long to be worshiping with them. We're not lone rangers, folks. When God saves us, He declares us not guilty, justified, but He also declares us sons adopted into the household of faith. We're not saved to live out there. We're saved to live in here. This is the house. We're going to have the, the house mill here in a little bit. We're going to enjoy that. He saves us to worship Him, John 4 tells us. We're to draw near. We, together, draw near. Draw near to what? Well, we know how with a sincere heart, but draw near to what? Well, I take it with, with most everyone else that it's drawing near to the holy place. Okay, so what's that? Well, is that where Christ is? Yes, that's where our citizenship is, in the heavenlies. But how do we do that? Because I don't see any of y'all floating through the sky right now. And I know I didn't. But it's when we gather here. Where we're gathered, He's with us. Right? So that's what He's talking about. 
let us draw near to one another and draw near to our Lord, and we do that where? Well, we're going to come full circle to that in a moment when we assemble together. But we'll say more about that when we get to it. So we're to draw near. That's, the, that's what propels us. That's what, that's what is driving us, is this, this near command here. Let us draw near to this holy place. And by the way, you can read between the lines here, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Spirit of the living God does that for us. We don't do that ourselves. The propelling force, the agent in this is the Holy Spirit. So on those Sunday mornings, you know, you wake up, you know, I tell people this sometimes. I see them missing one Sunday. I'm chatting with them perhaps the next week or I call and they say, you know, I just didn't quite feel up to it Sunday morning. And I've been known to say things like this. Neither did I. I bet you if you ask your pastor, you know, you're here every Sunday except when you're on vacation. Are you never, do you never feel bad? I bet you he'd say, oh yeah. But you know what? The Spirit of the living God picks me up. And the Spirit of the living God reminds me of who I am and whose I am and where I want to be and here I am. And I've never preached feeling badly when I didn't go home feeling better. I've never worshipped feeling badly when I didn't go home feeling better. There's a divine law there at work that when God brings his people together, he sends them out. We're going to do this in a little bit. Pastor is going to raise his hands and he's going to dispense the benediction, the blessing, the good words upon you. How can you go out of this place feeling poorer than you did when you came? After you've sang with the saints, after you've prayed with the saints, after you've heard the preaching of the word to the saints and you've received the communion of the saints and communion with the saints. That's what propels us. That's what drives us. It's the spirit of the living God and the command of God and the divine presence of God, the holy presence of God in the holy place. But notice next, there's the professing nature of the communion of saints. That's the second, let us. Let us draw near, and then in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's one of the beauties of, of Reformed confessionalism, Presbyterian confessionalism, is that we have a common doctrine. I often say this to folks in covenant. You know, when we sing these grand old hymns, and many in our Trinity hymnal date back to the Reformation and several date back earlier than the Reformation into the medieval period, even some into the early church period. It's remarkable. We have, we have, we have songs that we sing that were written by John of Damascus, by Anselm. When we confess our faith together, do you know that saints from all ages back to the, to the apostles 
could walk in this place this morning and feel at home? Can you imagine the reformers coming in, hearing the Heidelberg, and saying, huh, that was in our liturgy. Singing this, the hymns, singing the psalms, hearing the preached word, and hearing the same confessions of faith. One of the things the reformers did is they brought back into the public liturgy the grand old confessions, the creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. And then we have add on the rep all the reformed creeds and catechisms that we still use. And of course, our own Westminster Confession and Catechisms. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Isn't it interesting? He doubles down on this, doesn't he? Let us hold fast without wavering. This is supposed to be something that's in our hearts, dear to our hearts, burning in our hearts, what we believe. Folks, it's a sad world out there. I don't know if you've seen, perhaps your pastor has referenced the most recent 2022 State of Theology that Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research has just pulled together and published. People on the street believe as much as the average evangelical believe. What? That means they don't believe anything. Churches are filled with people who say they believe in Jesus and then they can't tell you which one. I go to Peru regularly. I was in there in March. I'll be there in December. There's a city named Jesus, Jesus. One of my favorite church names, First Presbyterian Church of Jesus. All over Mexico, Central America, South America, you have Jesuses, but none of them can save you. And if you don't know which Jesus can save you, that is, if you don't know the doctrine of Jesus Christ, then there's no salvation. You don't have the proper object for a saving faith. Let us hold fast the confession, notice, of our hope. Why do people struggle with their hope? Because they don't, they don't have a confession. They have a profession. They profess something, but they don't possess anything. So they don't have anything they can say. They can't tell anybody what they believe because they don't know what they believe. And we're being exhorted here as that let, notice what it says, let us confess our faith. This is one of the passages why we have a public confession of faith in our worship liturgy. I've had people say, where'd you get that in the Bible? I say, in the Bible. Right? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So don't give that up. And by the way, don't do it rotely. Don't let it just be okay. We, tend, we can do that particularly with the Apostles' Creed that's so easy to memorize, Right? We can do that like singing Amazing Grace. We can do that one 
scratching our ears and looking out at the sun reflecting off that Honda out there. And by the time it's over, you ever driven someplace? A common street, road, and you drive between your work and home and you get home and you can't remember if you ran any red lights or not. And it scares you. Ever, anybody? Everybody had? Yeah. We can do the same thing in worship, particularly with the confessions. And we know what he's going to pray for the confession of sin. And we can go ahead and just be looking at the verse of Scripture that's down below, and we can be moving right on, not holding fast without wavering. We're, we're not even holding on, and we're certainly not, wave, not wavering. We're moving, paying no attention to it. How is it possible that in an age that's opposed to doctrine, especially the Christian faith, how is that possible for churches to be filled with people opposed to doctrine? We're going to do a study on the doctrine of and just watch people's faces glaze over. Let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering. And here's why we're supposed to do it. Did you notice the four? For he who promised is faithful. We're not doing it just because he said to. Although that's good enough reason. But we're doing it because he's faithful. Why do I stand and declare I believe in one God, Father Almighty? Because he's faithful. Why do I declare that His only Son is the Lord who was crucified, buried, and dead because He's faithful? And I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. Why? Because He's faithful. If He were not faithful, I'd have no reason to believe those things and certainly no good reason to say those things. But because He's faithful, we stand and we, we say it. So the next time you declare your faith, give it a little gusto. You know, he's faithful. That should matter. Next, let us consider how to stimulate. That's the next P, the provocative relation within the communion of saints. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. Again, an us. Consider how to stimulate one another. Listen, folks. If you're not around one another, if you don't spend time with one another, if you're just slipping in and out from one another, there's no way you'd know how to consider, how to think, how to ponder, how to encourage, how to stimulate, how to stir up. I think the ESV says stir up. You have to know somebody to know how to stir them up, right? You have to know something about them. We talked about this with the elders and deacons for the past couple of days. The importance of knowing one another, being with one another. We have to spend time with one another if we're going to incite them. And by the way, notice it doesn't say, let us consider how to guilt people into doing things. We like to do that one, don't we? If that were a verse, that'd be one of our favorite verses. Let us consider how to guilt people. 
We don't even have to consider. We know how to do that. Let us consider how to stimulate. This is all positive, and we're stimulating them to love and good deeds. There's so many good deeds to do in the context of the church for one another. How about all those encourage one another, love one another, serve one another passages? Let us do this. And then he gives, he continues this thought with a negative. Did you notice? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Apparently, this was already a problem. That's why I don't, I don't feel any better about people forsaking the assembling together. B but I know I'm in good company because it's been going on a long time. People have been slouching. They've been lazy. They've been disinterested. They've just not been keeping their vows to support the worship and the work of the church to the best of their abilities. They've not been assembling together faithfully. Do you notice what he says? It's the habit of some. That's a bad habit, folks. He says to don't do that. Rather, encourage one another. So we're supposed to be assembled. That's the whole point. This is the way we'll know how to love one another and how to encourage one another and how to stir one another up. Right? You've got to be together to stir. I mean, you know, Carol made some wonderful chili just for me, not for the, bake, the, the chili cook-off thing that I learned about. She put all that stuff together if she hadn't put it all in there, there'd been nothing to stir up. Right? I mean, Joe would have been running her to the hospital if she'd have been standing in front of an empty pot stirring. We have to be here to be stirred up, to be stimulated. So we have to be assembled. Now let me just say quickly, we can only... Confess our common sins if we're together. We can only confess a common faith if we're together. We can only... You know what Paul says in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? You remember what he says? Speaking to one another as we sing to one another. You say, but I'm singing to the Lord. I know, you're more pious than I am. I'm singing to the Lord. Yeah, we're singing to the Lord, but we're also, we're not only singing vertically, we're singing horizontally. The same thing's going to happen here in a moment. We're going to eat, and we're going to drink. And I sometimes tell the folks at Covenant, when, while you're holding that cup, waiting for all the saints to have it so that we can drink together, as you lift it to your lips, toast, toast one another, you know. This is about us having a common faith and a common Savior with common worship. And we're celebrating that. Yeah, we receive individual benefits, but we're also corporately blessing one another. 
Because you know what? Somebody's going to look across and say, look at there. We're going to have three of our covenant children coming to communion for the first time when I return. They've just been interviewed by the elders, gave beautiful testimonies of their faith. They're living in the Lord. You can see it already. And I'm going to have them come down and I'm going to ask them their vows before the Lord's Supper and then they're going to sit right there on the front and I'm going to get to see them with their parents as they take the bread and drink the cup the first time. And everybody's going to be thinking, that's what it's about. We're a family. This is the family meal. We're a communion of saints. Well, that's just skimming the surface. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we, if we, if we recaptured the communion in the way the early church did? Let me read you something here. This is what historian Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2. Verses 44 through 46. And all who believed were together. Now this is not talking about corporate worship here. Luke tells us about that up the paragraph a bit. And then he shifts and he says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with gladness and generous hearts. See, it's, it doesn't, it's just not about us assembling here, but it's supposed to spill over into our daily lives. We should be praying for one another daily. We should be keeping in touch with one another to be sure we're okay daily. We should be encouraging one another. Those texts, those phone calls, calling those who are missing to come back to the assemblage, promoting the communion of saints. Let's love one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's correct one another. Let's care for one another. Let's all look to Christ together. Let's all proclaim our faith together. Let's all profess our sins together. And let's provoke one another to loving good works. That's the communion that God desires. Don't you love the family? I know. Everybody doesn't have a wonderful family. And they may dread Thanksgivings. But it's wonderful when you live in a family where you look forward to the meals. And you look forward to those times together. How much more so the church of the living God who has peace because they have the Prince of Peace. Father, thank you for this time. We ask your wonderful blessings on this wonderful passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.